We've all heard that uh, sentiment, never meet your heroes. Have you ever found that to be true? Have you met your hero before and they've kind of let you down a little bit? I mean, imagine you meet, you meet that celebrity that you've always wanted to meet or that athlete, professional athlete, whatever. And, and you know, I don't, I don't know, you, you walk in and, and you're, you're, at the ba- you're in the bathroom and there they are and they're done and you make eye contact and you nod and then they walk out without washing their hands, you know. And then every time you look at that person from that point on, I mean, that's why they say that, right? Because at some point, that person's going to let you down. And that's the case with everybody. I mean, at some point, everybody in our life is going to let us down. But especially, you know, those heroes, the people that we put up on those pedestals, you know, all you can see when you look at that person from that point on, you know, they, I don't know, maybe it's an actor and they're in a TV scene, they pick up a bagel and they go to eat it and you're like... Ugh. You know, I know, I know too much, too much about that person. I haven't met that many celebrities. Um, I, maybe, maybe I've met one in my life. Uh, a few years ago, my wife and I went to New York City for an anniversary. It was the first time we'd gone up there. It was an amazing trip. It was fantastic. And, you know, we kind of knew we were in New York and we were walking around all over the place and keeping our eyes open. I mean, I guess we could have seen some people that we didn't know. Maybe they're incognito, had a hat on and sunglasses or something like that. I wouldn't necessarily uh, have, have met them. But one of the highlights of our trip was going to a Broadway show. We'd never done that before. My wife is really big into musicals and Broadway and that kind of stuff. And so we were really excited about that. And we're going in to the theater for the second, second act. And I look up. And as we're kind of going through the line, it's snaking around as we're, we're getting into the entrance, I look up and I recognize this person. That's a famous person, celebrity. And I look up and I'm like, Renee, you know, I'm trying to be discreet. Renee, look, look, check it out. Look, look at who it is. And she go, and they're coming closer, cl- closer. Her reaction is a little bit different from, from mine because in my, in my view, like I'm going to be, I'm going to play it cool. All right. Cause that's just, you know, we're going to, we're going to make eye contact. We're going to nod, you know, it's going to be kind of like, I know who you are you know who you are, and we're good, you know, and, and we kind of move on. Renee, Renee is like standing here looking at me, and I'm, I'm seeing this person come up, and so her reaction is she gets her phone up, and she, she holds it up and like turns it around like this. Well, the timing worked out perfectly because as she does this, this person come, and we are right next to each other. I mean, it's just one of the, one of the little, you know, uh, line, you know, separators that, that's, that's right there in between us. And as soon as she done, does this, this person is like right here in her face. So her phone is pretty much like this, this far away from them. And at that point, they looked up from talking to their family and looked around in her direction. All right, so she turns around and just phone in the face. And I'm like, oh man, this is not playing it cool. You know, because now we're not going to, you know, talk and laugh and be best friends and, and hang out, you know, <laughs> after, after this. <clears throat> so, um, so this person awkwardly kind of goes, well, hello. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you got to tell. And Renee's like sheepishly puts, puts the phone down high, you know, but that, that was kind of the interaction. But she did get that picture. And so I just want to show you. <laughs> this is the famous celebrity that we met. Anybody tell who that is? That is Jim Gaffigan right there, and that's his family there to the next. Um, I, I guess you could say we got to know each other pretty well because one of his kids bumped into me in the lobby, you know, while, while we were there, and so that was, that was pretty cool. I'm, I'm not really big into celebrity culture. Like, I don't follow celebrities. I don't, I don't, you know, try to go find out what hotel they're staying in or, you know, when their airplane is getting in or that kind of thing to try to catch a glimpse. I've never really gone out for autographs or, or anything like that. There's a small number I think would be really cool to meet, probably mostly professional athletes that I think would be cool to, to hang out uh, with, but I'm not under any illusion that that's ever going to happen. 
I don't know if you know this about me, but I don't really run in circles where <laughs> professional athletes and celebrities are in. I, it's just not a thing for me. Um, and I really don't have, maybe some of you have thought of this, I really don't have a plan of how I would act or what I would say, other than like the, the nod thing. You know, that, that's as far as I'd go. If there's actually a conversation, I don't know what I would say. Um, maybe, maybe it's not until you're in that position that you know, but I imagine most of us just kind of assume, oh, we're going to be normal. You know, we're not going to be weird or creepy or, you know, shove our phone in their face or, or anything, anything like that. Actually, I think most of us would probably react like my son did. Uh, when he, he doesn't know I'm telling the story, but he, it was after a baseball game and uh, the uncle of a, a kid that he's played with before uh, is a major league ball player and was there watching, watching his nephews uh, play baseball. And Seth was like, oh man, there's, there's that guy. He's a major league baseball player. Like that, that's pretty cool. And, and Renee and I are just egging him on. Just, just go say hi. Just go say hi. He's like, no, no, you, you know, a little, little nervous and stuff. It was amazing. It was adorable. And finally, we talked him into it. Like, hey, just, just go, just go, just go say hi. I said, hey, my name's Seth. You know, nice to meet you. Like, that's all, all you got to do. And he walked. Finally, he walked over. We were leaving and walked over. Stood right there in front of him and just froze. I mean, just kind of stared at him. And I think, I think this guy kind of had that happen before because he just kind of, hey, how's it going? He's like, Seth's like. I've never met a major league ball player before. And, and, uh, and the guy was like, well, nice to meet you. And Seth was like, you know, just kind of, just kind of turned. It was, it was amazing. It was fantastic. Look, if we know for certain we're going to meet somebody famous that we admire and respect, I mean, we'd prep for it. We think about what we're going to say. We think about where we'd meet, you know, or what questions we might have, what we'd wear, what angle we'd take the selfie from, you know, where, where the sun is coming in. We'd adjust our lives appropriately to make it happen. Look, I mean, I know realistically there's no chance that I'm going to play 18 holes of golf with Tiger Woods. Like, it's just not going to happen, and I know that. And so I don't live my life as if that is going to happen. Um, However, as a Christian, and and I think maybe you kind of see where where this transition, this segue is going. As a Christian, there there is someone that I know at some point in my life I'm going to come face-to-face with. And how I live my life and how I approach that and how I prepare for that um, has, has a lot to do with what happens in my day-to-day and my interactions with other people and how I think about the world around me. And in, first, in 2 Peter chapter 3, and this is the final chapter of, of Peter's letters, and we're going to be there in our Bibles this morning. So if you have them, go ahead and turn there, 2 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to wrap up this sermon series through the uh, letters of Peter. Uh, Peter's final words of encouragement are to remind and reassure the church of one of its most important hopes, Um, one of the most important hopes that we rest our lives on, that someday soon Jesus is coming back to redeem and reconcile all things. The the fact of the matter is that that at some point Jesus is coming back, and at some point we will come face to face with him. And for us, that is meant to produce expectant joy in our lives. So, so come what may in our lives, whatever is going on, there should be this undercurrent because of that truth, because we know that's a foundational part of our faith, a foundational hope that we have. Um, th- there should be an expectant joy that undergirds, underlines everything that we do in our lives. There's no sense of trepidation in this meeting. Um, you know, no, no sense of like, oh, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do or what I'm going to say or those kinds of things uh, that, that maybe would make us a little bit fearful or, 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 or nervous. But a sense of purpose in wanting to face life 
no matter what happens with the assurance that the second coming of Jesus brings. Um, not everybody believes this, though. Not everybody lives their lives with this hope in mind. And there are plenty of people who, for example, would call this into question because it hasn't happened yet. And because this is a matter of faith that matters to our perspective this side of heaven, Peter sets up how our expectations should meet the challenge of those who mock and those who produce wrong teaching about this moment. All right, so we're going to jump into the text of 2 Peter chapter 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing, scoffer, scoffing, and following their own evil desires. They will say, where's this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. A little bit different perspective other than saying, like, you know, you know, Scripture says, I mean, you read Revelation 22, and Jesus says, hey, I'm coming, I'm coming again soon. You know, we're in the last days. You know, this is happening soon. Yeah, but, you know, over the last couple, you know, couple thousand years, that, that hasn't happened yet. So what's the deal? Maybe, maybe it's not, 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 not going to happen. And, and we kind of get that way when we wait a long time, right? We're kind of like, ah, maybe, maybe this isn't really going to happen. You, you wait for somebody, and they're 45 minutes late, and you're just like, ah, they're probably not going to come. So you're probably going to leave. You're going to go do something else. And yet Peter says, hey, uh, understand, though, that our perspective on slowness is very different from God's. And so be careful how other people might distract you from what is to come. And it's kind of an interesting thought process that Peter brings up, that, that people have kind of an objection to this idea that Jesus is coming again. Jesus must not be coming back because life just continues to go along as it always has. And, um, and I, think, I think that's how a lot of us maybe kind of get wrapped up into thinking about this. It's like, well, nothing's really different. Life keeps happening the same way. You know, this isn't really a thing that's going to happen. Um, however, that's a really short-sighted and self-indulgent view of human history. Um, and I think that's why, you know, Peter says uh, with, with God and how he thinks about things and how we think about things is a little bit different. So many things have changed in how we think and how we believe over the course of human history. Our conception of the world has had significant shifts, um, such, such significant shifts that this idea is like, well, life just keeps going as it always has. Nothing's changed. It's kind of a head in the sand kind of approach. And thus Peter says, you know, they, they kind of deliberately forget. What we've come to expect from humanity is so different from before Christianity that sometimes I think we have a hard time conceiving how anyone could think differently than what we do. We read about, you know, peoples and, and how they treated one another or what life was like, and we think, well, how could people be so horrible? How, how could it be that way? Um, sometimes forgetting why our change in thinking has come about in the first place. Life is not carrying along like it always has. Over the course of years and generations and human history, it changes, and the greatest shifts come about in our conceptions of God and how those beliefs shape our character and nature as human beings. 
one thing that has remained the same throughout the course of human history is that what we place our religious energy into is what produces the greatest impact in how we experience the world around us. It can be directed into anything. Make no mistake, everyone has religious energy. Everybody puts it into something. Everybody believes and puts faith into something, whether they're aware of it or not. And the biggest shift that we've made currently, I mean, there have been a ton of shifts throughout human history, but currently is moving that energy from a higher power, or, or God, as we know him to be, to an inner power. The religious energy that we have in our culture has simply just moved to an understanding that there's something bigger than us out there to we are the biggest thing that exists. We've moved from a higher power to an inner power. The God of our culture has become the self. And so we've been encouraged to look inwardly, for example, for meaning and purpose and a standard for living, to find answers to life's deepest and most important questions within our hearts because we're such wise and intelligent, all-knowing, all-powerful beings, right? So why would we not look inward for these things? And here's what we've discovered along the way without admitting it. We can't handle it. We, we can't do it on our own. The mental and emotional toll alone should be enough to warn us. Mental health is a growth market right now, and not just because the stigma is being removed, as it should be, because mental health is a real thing. It is something that we need to deal with and we need to handle in a godly manner. We do need to pursue healing in those ways. But it's also a growth market because we're shifting more and more away from Jesus as the cornerstone of our life. Because the more we separate ourselves from the understanding that there's something bigger and larger than us and we put all of the weight on the world and the universe on our own shoulders, the more in trouble we become, we, we, we get into. The higher the emphasis we put on self and the less on God, the more our society flounders. However, God knowing this and looking throughout the course of human history, understanding that we struggle with these things and we need time to kind of swing back around and correct these things in our life, not wanting anyone to perish, God isn't, God isn't just taking his time and just kind of twiddling thumbs and, and waiting. This patience that he's showing in terms of Jesus coming back and redeeming all things, means he's delaying his temper. The, the, the word for patience there that Peter uses means long-tempered. The old school word that, that we would use is long-suffering. And in an area where some might present a case for doubt, well, if Jesus hasn't come back by now, you know, is he, is he really coming? Peter says, look, God's given everybody time to recognize that, that we need him. God isn't slow on fulfilling Jesus' return. He simply knows the scope of human history well enough to give everyone a chance to be redeemed and re reconciled to him. And so Peter's, Peter's first part here in this chapter is don't, don't be distracted. Jesus is coming back, and while we wait patiently, if, if, we're, if our perspective is where it needs to be on Jesus, well, while we wait patiently, we grow in the knowledge of God's grace because we understand like that, that's what's going on here when it comes to our lives and his involvement in them. The more time we have, the more of an opportunity we have to experience and share the peace that Jesus brings. And so with this in mind, Peter comes back to the point, Jesus is coming back. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? 
You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. The first message um, in this sermon series that we talked about was about being refined. And so understand that as Peter is talking about this, some of the language that he used, the uses the apocalyptic language there is, is, a, is a sense of refinement and what he's talking about God, God will do. Here's the promise that God makes to us about his character when this day of the Lord comes. In dealing with evil, God's love and holiness ensures perfect timing on his mercy and wrath. Because when we read this, I mean, the, one of the things we could take away was, oh, this could be a fearful thing. Like, oh, man, think about that. These, thi- these things are going to be happening. The world's going to be refined by fire. There's going to be a new heaven and new earth. But that's not what it's meant to cause in us. It's meant to cause expectant joy for those who know God. The fact that God will not let evil prevail should be of great comfort to us. And the fact that he does not have a hair trigger should also be of great comfort to us because all of us have needed his grace and mercy and continue to need it. However, there is a day coming in which all wrongs will be righted, all evil eradicated, and life restored to its original design. The day of the Lord that Peter mentions there is mentioned throughout Scripture. It is a main theme throughout the Old Testament. And the day of the Lord, it can mean a couple different things. Sometimes it can mean, you know, some major natural disaster or some other like a war that happened or, or something there that, um, that, that God uses for corrective behavior, those, those kinds of things. It can refer to past, present, and future events um, in which, you know, things have happened that are connected to God's divine judgment. But Peter is talking about the day of the Lord, the capital D, day of the Lord, and the future in which God will confront the evil of everyone with justice. And while these sometimes calamitous events can sound pretty overwhelming, they all have one thing in common, and that is that God's forgiveness and his mercy always defines his justice. So while there are consequences for sin, both punishment and the natural result, um, that never has to be the end of the story. It all has to do with what we put our religious energy and faith and hope into in our lives. Perhaps you can think of some day of the Lord type moments in your life where you thought, you know, the life that you thought that you knew, everything that, that you know, the foundations that you'd set up for your life, maybe they kind of were shaken or maybe they crumbled and, and fell down. Well, those are moments in which we're meant to draw nearer to him. And so this idea that Jesus is coming back, it's, it's not meant to be one of, you know, oh, fear or consternation, you know, for those of us that, that know Jesus, it's meant to be an expectant joy because like that's when we come face to face with our Lord and Savior. The day itself is, is not what we're meant to be obsessed with. It will come as a, as a thief. It'll be a surprise because it won't be based on our idea when it would be a good time. In, instead, It's about our character, living holy and godly lives that causes us to simply look forward to the fact that is coming. And that very act of living expectant of the second coming of Christ reminds us that life is headed to somewhere that is much more complete than what it is right now. And that somewhere is an eternity with God, with life restored as it was always meant to be. Ultimately, there's going to be a future day of the Lord, a day in which we're called to anticipate as coming soon with the second coming of Jesus. And whether we see that with our own eyes or after our death, it is a great day of judgment, but not for those who choose to follow Jesus. 
when we follow him, when we have said yes to Jesus, when we have had our sins symbolically washed away in baptism, when we are living repentant lives, when we are focused on being who God has called us to be, this is, this is a moment for us where we can, it, it produces peace in our lives and understanding that ultimately, come what may, God's got this taken care of. And the fact that Jesus is, is, is coming back it gives us the greatest sense of peace and hope and trust in who God is uh, because we can celebrate the fact that regardless of what happens this side of heaven, we have an eternal presence with God to look forward to. It's what we strive to help others to celebrate by helping them find Jesus as well so their hearts can be open to experiencing the love God has for all of us. And we prepare ourselves for that day of the Lord through repentance and keeping God's forgiveness and mercy as the impetus for all that we do and all we, that we think and all that we are. So let's, lead the, let's read the last, last section there of 2 Peter chapter 3. And here's what he says. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Jesus is coming back. And so Peter says, hey, don't, don't be distracted by all the things that are happening in this life. Because in the grand scheme of things, this is, the, this is a short moment. This is, you know, this is, a, uh, th this is a brief time period where what, whatever things we have going on, even the responsibilities that we have, the good things that we have on, th those are not the things that define the whole of our life. The bad things, the good things, those are all tempered by the fact that there, there's something much greater at work here. And, and that is that God desires to spend his time with us. And his desires for us to want to spend our time with him. And that opportunity is coming. And so don't get carried away by the doubt of those who put their faith in temporary things, is what Peter is saying. And don't get carried away by those who anticipate Jesus coming again by odd contrived prophecies and wild guesses as to when it's going to be. Like, for the record, let me speak plainly. For the record, anybody who speaks of this time period as a way to cause people to be fearful or to uh, panic, or, you know, is trying to guess a date and, and get people, you know, jazzed up about that. Um, they're just a false teacher. I mean, th this, is, this is what, you know, Peter is addressing in, in this letter. Um, but because we know that Jesus is coming back, we can live our lives in, in anticipation of that, and it should, it should affect how we live. J just as if I knew, you know, this week I was going to go play golf with Tiger Woods. I'd, I'd prep. I'd go to the range. I, you know, I'd probably get a new golf shirt or something like that. I'd, uh, you know, something. I don't, I don't know. There, there'd be some things that I would do. I'd find my old Tiger Woods hat that, I don't know, is the trunk of my car somewhere, you know, buried. And I'd be like, look, I've had this all this time. I just haven't worn it in decades, you know. Um, but I'd, I'd try to think of ways that maybe I could impress them so we could be best friends, you know, for the rest of our lives. You know, those, those kinds of things. Um, Man, how much, how much more should we prep for, for Jesus coming? And, and the invitation that we offer for other people to, to join us in celebrating that, that fact, that hope and that trust that we have. Um, 
our Lord and Savior, the cornerstone of our salvation, one day we're, we're going to meet him face to face. And that should be the most encouraging news that we can have in our lives and that we can share with other people. I don't know exactly what it's going to be like. I don't know when I'm going to come face to face with Jesus. And actually, I think I kind of like not knowing exactly when that's going to be. But knowing that Jesus is coming back gives me and gives us a peace and a purpose that sustains us come what may. And so I just want to ask you just to consider when, when Scripture talks about this, when Scripture talks about the day of the Lord, talks about Jesus coming back, and that being something that we, we have in a, as an expectant joy, if it's not for you, why? Why, why is that? Maybe, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's some for, form of doubt that you've been distracted by in your life. Maybe there's, there's something else going on that's kind of uh, hindering you from that or separating you from that. But, you know, if, if there's not an expectant sense of celebration or joy there, what, what is it that's keeping you from that moment? And how, how can we work together through that? as a body of believers? Like, who, who's the person in your life? Maybe somebody sitting right next to you. Maybe, uh, maybe we can have a conversation at some point. Maybe it's somebody in your small group that you can, you can discuss that with. What, like, what is it about, about Jesus coming back, you know, is something that keeps you from that, if that's, if that's where you are in your life? Because there's some things that we can do that can instill a pretty steady hope and a, spit, a pretty steady trust and foundation in our lives. And that's making Jesus the cornerstone of our life. When we build the rest of our lives on that, remember one of the first sermons we had in the series that Jesus is the cornerstone and we are built, being built into a spiritual house as living stones together, where we get, to, we get to celebrate that joy together and we get to share that joy with other people. And so what, what, is, the, what is the thing that you and I are doing as a takeaway from Peter's message here in this final chapter? What are we doing to prepare ourselves to meet him? How are we living our lives? How are we thinking about the world around us? How are we interacting with other people? What decisions do we have between us and God to, to put us in a place where we are looking forward to celebrating that meeting face-to-face together? Let's, let's pray. God, we, uh, we praise you for a hope that, that, uh, that supersedes all others. That, that come what may, we, we understand that when it comes to believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that, that comes with it certain, certain ideas and certain thinking that, um, that helps us move through whatever may come in our lives. That, God, it's, it's the, the greatest joy uh, that we can look forward to, that with soberness and seriousness, it, it helps us to understand what um, what purpose and meaning really looks like in our lives. That it helps us to uh, process the things that happen uh, to us and around us in a way that, that is not limited by things that are just temporary. That it helps us to move past just the moment in our lives to something that is far greater. God, we praise you for uh, the hope that knowing that Jesus is coming again gives us and produces in us. God, help, help us to share that hope with other people. Help us to, to um, just to take it, take it seriously and, and, and to be intentional in our lives and how we live and how we interact with other people that, um, yes, God is, is patient with us, but Jesus is coming back too. And so there's, um, there's a reason for us to live holy and godly lives the way that you've called us to. 
God, we praise you uh, for, for this hope. God, we ask that you sustain that hope in us through your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.